All right, everybody. Uh, welcome to Frontside Podcast, episode 25. Uh, today, we have with us a very special guest, Matthew Beal, who you might know as Mixonic or the formerly uh, Avatar, was it Mario jumping? But now, currently, Avatar is his actual face. Yeah, um, well, I got worried that Mario is going to sue me as I got close to the 30th anniversary, so I backed mm. down. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Matthew is everywhere. I kind of think of him as everywhere that you don't want to be uh, so that you can be where you want to be, which is like doing everything very low level uh, in the Ember code base so that you can uh, enjoy the the breezy clouds of, of getting your app done. Yeah. But, but somebody, um, so somebody's got to plumb the sewers. Somebody's got to do it. And so, you know, I certainly am very thankful. And I think uh, uh, he's deserving of, of, of lots of kudos. Um, but anyway, really awesome to have him on the, the podcast. Um, I know you recently wrote a, a blog post called What Would an Ember 2 app, uh, Ember 2.0 app look like? And uh, I know, Brandon, you had a couple, um, some ideas of, of just, what we wanted to ask him. Just, yeah. just why? Just why? Yeah. Just they, just, <laughs> so, so Matthew, thank you very much for, for jumping on in with us. And you did uh, an episode before with uh, Martin and Stanley, but I wanted to have you kind of introduce yourself and tell us, uh, you, you know, your newly, newly minted uh, core team member and tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how, you, how you got involved with Ember and, uh, again, just why. Yeah, yeah, and and why bother with the two point Right, uh, it's so much work. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I have, uh, yeah, I have gone whole hog into uh, Ember and, and picking up the nitty gritty parts. Um, uh, yeah, definitely trying to make a difference. I was uh, really into development when I was a kid. I programmed QBasic in the basement. My parents insist that they remember me uh, copying code out of the magazines to type into a T nine ninety nine four A. But uh, I have no recollection of this, so they're making it up, or I am, someone is. And uh, then went to school for music in college and did nothing with computers, but then quickly realized that making money when you're working in music is pretty challenging and started coding on the side again. And that was right around like the beginning of Rails. So I, I very much remember um, interacting with like the early Rails community and getting to do a couple of neat things. Like I had one or two blog posts, which um, people paid attention to at the time, but I didn't really think of myself as being a programmer. So I didn't identify as this and want to participate in the community. And as the years went by and I started doing development professionally, I really looked back on that time and thought that I had like missed a moment. I could tell that Rails was this amazing thing and had this great community. And I felt like I had maybe a chance to participate and had let it slide. Uh, and ever since then had been very much like cognitive and, and looking for what I thought would be that next opportunity and when I started doing work in JavaScript and need to solve, or in, in uh, working on a side project of my own and need to solve some problems uh, in Rails, that seemed like they were going to be classic painful problems in Rails, like synchronizing client-side state with the server side. I uh, looked around for all t- like different ways to do things and ran into Ember. And as soon as I started working with it, very quickly realized that it was like the, the community and uh, people solving problems in the way that I wanted to solve problems. People interested in addressing fundamental issues about our pain and development and not just like doing a quick fix and running away. Uh, so yeah, bit down uh, like two and a half years ago. And uh, then last summer, like nudged my way onto core writing on Martin's coattails and uh, yeah, just trying to continue to make a difference, really believe in this web thing and uh, feel like Ember is like our opportunity to make an impact on the development world that, you know, people after us will work in and that we're going to work in once we get older and things like that. So it's an exciting time. 
Hmm, that's cool. So it's it's kind of a formative time, uh, and and you you saw kind of that that merry-go-round go with uh, web web-based and and database-backed applications in 2006 with Rails, and uh, now we have this opportunity with client-side driven applications and the UX things that come along with that. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think the conversation with the conversation with Ember has gotten a little bit a little bit sidetracked, where we uh, you know we had to address basic problems that we had, like uh, performance and things like that. Like there are, there are things that we definitely, and uh, build tools. And we've been really focused on these things, which uh, in the grand scheme are really minor things. I think the, the benefit of Ember is truly the architecture that it brings, that you have client-side applications, that they're separate from your server-side. And we kind of got away from uh, preaching that, that gospel, which I think is the way that the web should be architected. And I, I, I hope that 2.0 uh, addresses so many of those other narrow, specific tactical concerns that we can step back again and begin to talk about like what the, um, you know, what the big story is. When people talk about React, uh, uh, Pete or someone tweeted the other day that their competition is really PHP, like it's server-side rendering. And I think that's kind of true where like they espouse the model of we, you render this on the server and then you render on the client and it's kind of the same. And you have this like weird world where sometimes your PHP makes the HTML, sometimes your JavaScript makes it. Uh, I don't think that's not the way I want to build applications for the next 30 years. And we need to do better. And I, I think that Ember like leads the is kind of at the vanguard for how we should we should be building apps in another decade or another two decades. And so that's the story that I want to help push. I, I really like that concept. Um, and uh, clearly, I think it's that philosophical alignment is what kind of drives a lot of us to do the same thing. Um, and recognizing that it's not uh, perfect in execution uh, all the time. And so there's been a lot of, um, I think React did a really good job of calling out Ember on some of the flaws in execution. But I think you're right that it's been, uh, the change in conversation has gone from focusing, uh, like you said, focusing on the, the broader concepts and on what we're going to be doing for the next few years to focus laser focusing on, well, this is faster, therefore let's abandon what we were doing already and do this other thing. Um, and you were really kind of at the forefront of helping uh, re-architect uh, the view layer to put that conversation to rest. Um, do you feel like with uh, the Glimmer engine being released and HTML bars and all that stuff being released at, at 1.13 and 2.0, is that, uh, are we going to be able to move past that and back to architectural discussions or are we a couple of iterations away from that? No, I, I think that we are. The, the, the one major thing which I think is still going to be uh, an active part of our conversation is how we address initial boot time. That's like that's the very tactical item. Glimmer puts to rest uh, the classic like re-rendering, um, uh, rend- uh, changing the contents of a list from page to page. And in a lot of ways, it allows us to um, program with kind of the, the the development model that React tries to teach us, where we have components, our data flows down. We don't need to. I, I, uh, you guys talked about old people using Ember, people who have used Ember for a long time. And I'm, I'm sure, like me, you guys have done the thing where you have like an array, and you know that if you change the array reference, like if you make a new array, then the contents of your each will disappear. Right. And it'll and, be like an extra slow step. And so you just instead, cry. you manually, yeah. So you like manually manage the contents of this list, and it's really quirky and painful. Um, the goal of Glimmer is that we get rid of that step. So now you just make a new array, and you pass it, and it's faster than it was before to render and you don't need to think about it. Um, and unblocking that really lets us just think about like rendering these things down and, and not um, deal with, with managing all those references. That's a, a huge improvement. Um, the thing that it doesn't address, however, is um, I load up the page, I boot, I, I boot an app and I want it to be in front of me immediately and be able to interact with it. And this is like going to be a multi uh, faceted approach. We're going to have to 
spend a little bit of time on the rendering to improve that and do some low-hanging fruit optimizations that we know are in Glimmer, but we've been so focused on compatibility that we haven't touched yet because we want it to be a smooth transition. I'm really proud of the transition for HTML bars. That was so painless. I remember when it was going out and people were like, oh, yeah, oh, look, it found the syntax errors in my HTML. What a great feature. I was thinking, oh, my God, that's like, that's the thing that they found? I'm so happy that was it because it's such like a complex shift to make all, to change all this code and make it happen really um, transparently. Um, Glimmer is a little bit more challenging, but I think we're going to have that same kind of smoothness once we actually get to the 113 release. Uh, so we're going to be focused on the boot time, so low-hanging fruit on optimizations. Um, a little bit of the project Svelte, uh, which is uh, this, concept, this concept of like dynamic builds in Ember CLI. There's an RFC right now that uh, White Cat's made a few days ago about release process improvements. And as, in part of that, he talks, uh, maybe it's not the major point there, but he talks about a concept called Svelte builds. And the idea is in Ember CLI, uh, if you do not use deprecated code paths, that those deprecated code paths will just go away. Like You, you can just drop mm. them from the code that you're shipping down to the client side. Uh, and that'll shrink the size of the code that we have and also maybe let us optimize some like hotter paths so you have some, some nicer um, speed boosts. Uh, and then the third thing, of course, is fast boot, where we'd be able to render a page and then uh, we call it rehydration when we reattach the running JavaScript app to the DOM that's already on the page. Uh, and that is something that's going to be actively worked on through this summer. Um, it, that's like a, a trade-off item. I'm not exactly sure if it, it doesn't, it's not a panacea, it doesn't solve all ills, but I think for many applications, it'll be a really good fit and you'll be able to have like a really quick boot up um, and then attach the JavaScript like a moment later before the user really could interact with what's on the page. So I think that's our, that's our like big tactical thing, which um, I would love to have addressed so that we can uh, continue to move the conversation toward the strategic. But I think in a lot of other ways, uh, 2.0 and like the, the first one or two releases of the 2.0 uh, series will really introduce the new, a new set of idioms for how we build Ember applications. Obviously, fo- very much focused around components um, and having that like one concept that you deal with and data flowing down. Uh, and that's what I'm like, yeah, really eager to get to. Awesome. I, I actually had one question. <clears throat> um, so you mentioned performance. Obviously, um, there's, a, there's still a lot of work to be done, even though uh, we've seen massive progress there. Build tools is another thing. Another uh, thing that you kind of said was a, a you know a derailer from the the overall strategic um, conversation. Is there some third category that we should be on the lookout uh, for, or is that just kind of it's unknown and it might pop up and you know we'll deal with it? I think a lot of the other a lot of the other things that you would think could possibly be hot spots, um, like something like uh, adoption of ES six or ES seven. Um, mm. uh, there are obviously other, it, it's not supposed to be a race of who adopts what fastest because we, we obviously never have a, a very strong belief that you should be able to move your app forward over the years and not need to rewrite it. And nobody else is really trying to, um, tell that story as strongly as we are. Um, Angular has embraced it a bit more. They've gone back and said that they're going to be working on a one.x releases that will work toward 2.0. Um, but there, there's not as cohesive of a, of a plan and as smooth of a plan for how to get there. Um, yeah. But adoption of ES6 and ES7 is one of those things where uh, we're going to end up taking like a little bit longer than 2.0, than, than Angular 2.0 uh, and React does, just because we want a smooth path for, path for people to get there. I think you'll see ES7 decorators being used in Ember CLI uh, to replace a lot of the prototype extensions. So in Ember, when you have a computed property and you say dot property and pass it a bunch of things, 
this is a prototype extension. We had to add a function onto the object function. Uh, just very confusing to say. So uh, replacing those with like a, a, a syntax that doesn't interfere with other things that might be on the page is kind of a goal. And uh, uh, decorators will let us get to that. Decorators are syntax where you say at computed, and then you can pass that arguments for the dependent keys. And then on the line after that, you would define the property, which is your computer property, the logic of your computer property. Um, yeah. Those are a thing that we'll be embracing probably before we even embrace classes because um, we can embrace those today. You could, uh, there's an add-on, actually, that I think that Robert made uh, where you can actually experiment with using decorators in member code base right now. Which is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because now I get spoiled. Like uh, I went to do like a, just kind of a bare-bones JavaScript uh, project um, a couple days ago, and you know there were so many times where I just had one of those... <gasps> moments where it's like oh yeah i can't use i'm not i'm not transpiling here i've got to set up that whole tool chain and just having that assembled for free uh is is very liberating but at the same time makes you makes me realize kind of how spoiled i get and not in a bad way uh when i when Do i you ever think you deserve it. more though charles <laughs> <laughs> i kind of feel like i'm entitled to it well you are entitled to it right i mean this is like a language that's been moving this is a language that's been moving incredibly slowly and uh, uh people are actually trying to use in new and exciting ways and we we do like deserve uh better tooling and syntaxes and, and things that uh, allow us to build the kind of apps that um all of these other companies who are making a big bet on the web want to see happen mm-hmm. you know I, I like google and uh, google and facebook and all these other companies they're, they're not they're not putting money into uh, money and time into improving JavaScript and making these frameworks because of altruism. Um, they know, actually truly believe that like this is good for their business and this is good for technology. It's sort of interesting that um, I'm sort of just realizing like historically there's an investment in getting that kind of stuff set up uh, and the the translation and all the stuff that Ember CLI does. And uh, a lot of what Ember has always been about is Basically, taking a group of people from very, you know, a small band of independent or small shop developers for one to, you know, one to ten developers, and grouping to, together strong enough conventions to let those people have sort of the power of uh, what you, you what you already get if you're at a shop with two or three hundred developers and somebody's spending their full time developing the architecture and platform for everybody else to develop on. It only kind of just struck me that 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 philosophically. Is a, and is what is allowing Ember to kind of push the entire platform forward um, and giving a group of independent people the same kind of power that a large company might normally uh, you might normally have to have employ full time architects in order to get that. Yeah, if you look at companies like Ionic and, and Famous, um, they're totally raising VC money because they want to be the, uh, the 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 .NET or the iOS SDK of the web. Like this is this is what they're going for is they want to be the the new Microsoft where the web is a platform, and they provide developers these easy-to-use tools so that anyone can, you know, anyone can code .NET and make a Windows desktop application. They kind of want to do a similar thing where you can do that for the web. Um, and Ember is definitely, uh, yeah, it takes advantage of the fact that the internet is incredible, <laughs> open source software is incredible, and, and people are incredible, and uh, we get that without needing to couple ourselves to like a, a corporate investment path. Yeah. That that's it's really cool, and I think um, a big complaint I've heard in the past for for bringing people on has been the complexity of the conceptual model. You know, getting your head around Ember historically, like if you if you think about those of us who've been doing this for a few years, three years ago, if you were trying to get into Ember, this was very challenging. 
Um, and it's just been completely ruthless in its simplification. I mean, so ruthless that especially over the run up to 2.0, uh, that, that you're watching entire conceptual models just kind of fall away in favor of uh, – so so this idea of re-rendering, if you think about all the stuff that's now deprecated as a result of this, you can kind of write your code more naively and you don't need things like array computed and reduce computed. And even you know the idea of having to uh, use Ember object as opposed to POJOs or whatever in some, in some cases is not the case anymore. And so I've personally and, – and one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on is I've personally found it. And as a person who works in Ember full time, I found it challenging to keep up just in this run up from one eleven to twelve to thirteen to two point um, to to keep on top of that and understand, uh, you know, the stuff that we were doing that was idiomatic a year ago to you know even as little as six months ago is kind of now is now stuff that will actually hold you back if you write if you write your code a certain way uh, for two and you have sort of a better set of headlights than most people in terms of being able to see down the road for what Ember 2.0 is going to look like. And you've written about this. And so um, I've been I've been following your work pretty closely uh, on this stuff because we're trying to uh, basically, uh, there, it's it feels like you're kind of in an avalanche and you're swimming to stay on top of it so that you don't get swallowed up in it. And that's, it's good. And Ember has this really nice uh, sense of an upgrade path. But if you look around, you realize everything around us has changed. And so some, mm-hmm. some developers are going to have to change their habits uh, to match that. And are, are there? my question for you is if you've seen anything in your own apps or you've seen other developers make some common like things that, that turn out to be boneheaded, but they seem like a good idea at the time. Yeah, I, I think some of the uh, – a lot of people no longer use array and reduce computed, which is uh, pretty they – were, they were complex to use and complex to use correctly. Um, and that's, that's good that they have uh, stopped being adopted because they were very error-prone and difficult to use. Um, when you see a lot of the things around controllers, like like item controller and such, the the, the recommended path for, for those things is to move towards moving more components and kind of in that ruthless simplification that you talked about. To we don't in, introduce specific APIs for dealing with problems. I, I was reading a post this morning where we had uh, uh, they were talking about is Angular uh, oh oh is is React actually uh, slow? And someone was saying that like yeah uh, look Angular can be just as fast if you use this like super secret syntax that's hidden, not in the main documentation somewhere for an each loop. And that's what we're trying to avoid by um, with the ruthless simplification. If you do an each number, you shouldn't need to know that you can use item controller to get a controller for free with each of the views that renders for every item in that, that list. Um, that's like super insider baseball. Uh, we just want you to think like, I have an each, now I have something, what do I want to do with this value? Well, the only way I have to organize things is components, so throw it in component and just shove it downstream. Um, so really, like ruthlessly moving towards using the fewer concepts that we have. Um, there are one or two that still need to land, like the the helper stuff that we've been working on. Um, and in order to tr- totally get rid of controllers, we need to move a, a couple things around. There's a, a, a pull request for moving query parameters onto routes instead of onto controllers. Uh, but yeah, really to get rid of a lot of those concepts. I, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about the the timing because I, I agree that we do feel like we're in the avalanche. And that it's easy to get like uh, swept up, especially if you're paying attention to the Ember community right now. Uh, there's a lot of discussion focus on 2.0 and the idiomatic style that that was supposed to land around 2.0. That's probably actually going to be a reality in like 2.2, a little bit later than we had hoped. But uh, the this, this Svelte stuff is supposed to, uh, or will, help address some of the, um, the the concerns that people had about getting to that 2.0 milestone. Uh, the big benefit of the release model in Ember 
is that you can choose the pace for these things. So it's easy to get wrapped up in thinking ahead to like, well, what is, what is the reality going to be in four months? And trying to code your apps that you're ready for what's going to happen in four months. Um, but I also strongly suggest that an, you, you kind of take an alternative strategy and use the fact that the one thing you're guaranteed of an ember is, is our timing. We, you know that on June 12th, we will have 2.0 and some deprecated things will go away. We know that what, it's like a July 24th that we'll have 2.1. We know that September 4th we'll have 2.2. These are things that you can uh, totally plan your time around. And it's very helpful and important to test betas and to provide feedback on what's going to happen at that pace. But you can also plan to say, I know 2.0 is going to be on the 12th. I know 2.1 is going to be on the 24th. I want to be able to set aside like a few days in early July so that I can make sure to make this transition and get up to speed. And, and that kind of like planning ahead and uh, planning ahead of your time kind of aligns with like the one thing that is the most predictable in Ember, which is definitely the time of, of activities. Um, as a side question, I'm curious to know how that is as a, uh, like a, a, a team member on the an open source contribution, um, the model of, uh, every, every six weeks there's a release, there are deadlines associated with it. That's pretty atypical in the world of open source. Cause it's a little more loosey goosey and, you know, cathedral versus the bazaar type thing. Uh, and, and, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know what, what the impact is as a contributor, um, have you felt that be beneficial? Have you felt it has it added pressure? You know, do you lose sleep over it? Well, I think in the, in like the, the, so the releases that I've really been heavily involved with are really start somewhere around like one seven or something like that, uh, and, and move forward from there. And that's a lot. Um, <laughs> the, 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 so the individual ones in that series, um, I felt like we really did have the groove of the train where it's like, we're going to land, uh, HTML bars was, so uh, Metal Views was a good example of something that's like, whenever we merge Metal Views, which merged in 1.8, it'll be cool. Like, just get it done, and then get it into master, and it'll go through, and it'll be like, it'll be a smooth thing. HTML bars took a little bit more planning, because we realized that uh, um, the moment that we merged it into master, it would be very difficult for us to um, not ship it. So we very much like, had the timing plan to be like, well, we'll land it like one week after that master becomes a reality. So it'll have like a really long time in master and then a long time in beta to stabilize and be really smooth. Um, so th those ones were very, were, were really simple. Part of the RFC that Yehuda has out for um, improving the release cycle, release cycle improvements is really about the pressure that we felt on the core team around 2.0. And that 2.0 for us, uh, from a framework perspective, so from a user perspective, one of the reasons why I don't encourage anyone to, to panic about the contents of 2.0 or to, um, to over-optimize their code that they're working on today in preparation for 2.0 uh, is because from an application-level standpoint, like a lot of those things will be smooth for you. You'll have deprecation notices, and then like, deprecated things will go away. You'll have new features that come in that'll be documented and explained. Like it's going to be, you're going to understand what's happening uh, moment by moment as we get to releases, and that's going to be fantastic. From a framework perspective, though, 2.0 is a huge opportunity for us to remove things that we've been staring at for a year and a half now, that we're like, oh, I really don't want to have this code number anymore. Uh, a good example is we still ship a bind adder with bind being lowercase and then a capital A on adder, like. 
there's little things like this all over the Ember code base that we haven't had a chance to remove. And so 2.0 is a huge opportunity, and your eyes get greedy. You suddenly say, oh, what else can I remove? Can I remove controllers? Like, how far can I go? And you begin to fixate on this 2.0 date as your one chance for the next year to, like, get things out of Ember that should not, you know, that we don't think are idiomatic for apps anymore. Um, and so the, the proposal to change release cycle a little bit and the speltification is really to allow us to leak things like controllers into 2.0, but then not actually ship them down to browsers for production applications um, after, you know, whatever, after, after whatever release you choose to disable that deprecation. And so the, the concept is that um, in Ember, when we go from Canary to beta, um, sorry, in Ember, when we have a development build that has deprecations in it. And so you'll see in your console a bunch of notices that say this API bind adder is deprecated and you shouldn't be uh, using it anymore. When we ship a production build, all those deprecation notices are stripped out. So they're no longer in the code at all. They're not disabled. They're completely not present. The goal of the Svelte builds is that we would do this for individual um, features. It's kind of like anti-feature flagging. So we could take a whole concept like bind adder and all of the code associated with it. And instead of just having the deprecation stripped, if you configure something in Ember CLI to say, I'm not going to use the bind adder code, then we can drop all of that code. So if you say, I'm not going to use controllers, we can drop all of that code from your build and it won't ship to the client at all. Uh, and that'll allow us to remove this pressure that we feel in 2.0 to take all the things out because we'll have a mechanism throughout 2.x of like being able to remove actual code from builds. So you're saying it, it will, uh, is that a time thing or is that a, so like over the course of time, you can, you could halfway through 2.0, you could be like, Hey, we're going to go ahead and deprecate by Natter and shut it off for everyone at the same time. Or is that something you expect people to configure for themselves? The uh, officially something, uh, bind adder is maybe a bad example because I think bind adder itself will be removed in um, 2.0 because it's, it's going but away. assuming it weren't. Yeah. Well, controllers are a good example because controllers are going to go into 2.0. Uh, so, yeah, the, the aim is that, say, around 2.4, uh, you in Ember CLI will be able to say, well, my code hasn't used controllers since, like, 2.3. So I'm going to go into the .ember CLI file, and I'm going to say I want to ignore the deprecation or uh, disable the code for controllers. And uh, literally, when you're, when you're building, uh, Ember will be, like, built alongside or stripped alongside your own application code. And when you're in dev mode, when you're in production mode, you won't get that code for controllers at all. So it'll still be officially supported. It'll be in the official builds. If you download Ember directly and you try to use it, it will be part of that build. Um, you will be able to use it through the whole 2x. There will be tests inside of Ember's code base. So it'll still be like supported but deprecated. However, when we're using this code in our own apps, you know, when we get to the Ember 2.10, we don't want to still be shipping that code to the client if nobody's using it. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal of the Svelte builds is they relieve the pressure around a big major version release by allowing us to have that same benefit of a major version release at a very like micro level for each individual user and each individual feature. Hmm. That's it. I see. It's a really cool part of that proposal um, that I think maybe slipped underneath the radar when he first wrote it. Crafty, yeah, crafty Yehuda writing didn't, didn't <laughs> raise awareness to it too much, but uh, it's, it's totally in there and it's, it's pretty exciting. Uh, I think we're, we're really eager for it because it, uh, so before two, before in the announcements for 2.0, we talked a bit about having add-ons for things like controllers that we would have like a suite of supported add-ons. So say you're in 2.0 and your code still has a bunch of controllers, um, you would add this add-on to your system. There's a little bit of pain associated with that. You have to be an Ember CLI user. Um, you can't be like a globals mode user. 
which will, those people are still going to exist. There's still going to be people using Globals mode, Ember in their applications. Um, and the fact that it was an add-on also means that the tests for it are outside of Ember. And so it becomes difficult to keep in sync over time. There's like, we would need to come up with an integration testing strategy or something like that. This felt option where instead that code is still part of Ember, but it's just stripped out of builds for 90% of users, really uh, is more maintainable in the long run. It, it, it's, a, it's a better way for us to like manage this challenge. How much complexity does that add to the, the code base to support that? So, At like a uh, level. Yeah, like I said, like I mentioned before, we already do this with deprecations where they're actually stripped from the code. So what this will be is a, a Babel plugin. Um, will, where it will take flagged sections of code and remove them. It's very similar to how we do feature flagging. So feature flagging says, I want to opt into a feature. And uh, the spelt flag would say, I want to opt out of a deprecated feature. So you truly have both sides of the coin where you're able to control mm-hmm. like what features I want to bring in if you're using Canary. And if you're using beta or stable, I want to control which features I don't want to ship with my code. Okay. I had a, <clears throat> a question. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that uh, things like item controllers are going away um, and that the the solution, I've actually, so we've struggled with this a little bit, um, kind of doing the thing where we're, we are trying to plan our trajectory uh, around what we're going to do. And, and I mean, it sounds like one of the things you're saying is, you know, don't, don't put too much pressure on yourself to do that. But, you know, just kind of thinking like, what is the best strategy for doing this? Because we actually do use item controllers uh, a lot. And so you mentioned things like components. It is very handy to be able to just say, I want nothing but a wrapper around this set of values. And that's the only thing that I want. And so is, it, is, there, is there kind of no logical replacement or how do you use it? It's just kind of a restructuring of your code because I, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, at, at face value, it seems like a little bit of a pain to, to say, I want to write a custom one-off component for every single time I want to do an iteration and enhance the values uh, inside that iteration. You're talking about using it like um, using item controller, like a presenter. Yeah, basically, which is what we, we kind of use them. That that's, that's our most common use case uh, is where we've got, we, we just want to exactly present, enrich some values from a, right. uh, an yeah, underlying which, object. Yeah. Which, which, which makes total sense. Um, I, I, I think the immediate way that I would think of doing a, a presenter with a, with a component would be to use block parameters. So components don't need to, you don't necessarily need to think of them as managing a section of DOM. It's very useful to think of them as functions that um, allow you to add information to the context of a template. So having a, uh, a component which is going to decorate a, uh, say, a user model and going to add like a full name property, a pretty traditional boring example, uh, you can go ahead and pass the model into that component, and that component can then yield back uh, a variety of different decorated things that you would use in the local context. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to use the, uh, when we have components, we talk about them having a shadow DOM and a light DOM, or a, uh, a layout in a template, there are a bunch of different ways that we phrase this. But when you have a component, its own template is called the shadow DOM. It's like the, uh, the DOM that is under its immediate control and has the component itself as the context. Once you yield from a component, um, then you yield like back into the light DOM, which is your main template. So if you have a template for, say, the index page, and you're going to have an each block, you can say each, and then you have a block param that passes in each one of the items. You pass each one of those items into a component. That component can decorate the different values and then yield them back in its own block params. And now you have in the inner block of those two things, the each and your component, 
you'll have access to the user itself and a bunch of decorated information on the user. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so using it as like a pure a pure function concept instead of as a I need to manage the DOM with this thing is uh, it's definitely a really powerful technique. So why not? I'm so just curious. Why not um, enhance the the given each? Uh, to support like a decorator so that you could, because I'm, you know, what leaps to my mind is then saying, okay, well, I'll just implement it like a decorated each component that yields the decorator in addition to each item. Right. And you could, you could also make, you could also like uh, iterate the array and wrap each of those items in a decorator um, before you pass them into the template if you wanted to. Um, Right. I I think putting some kind of decoration on each is not, um, is not unforeseeable or necessarily very nasty. Controller in particular implied a certain set of things about context and about the, the controller keyword itself. And right. the controller keyword itself in Ember is, is very complicated and has a lot of um, inconsistencies in how it, how it is ever set. So when you're looking at a given part, knowing what the view or the con, uh, controller keyword are is kind of like a black, black art to know what's there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the work in Glimmer has been, uh, a lot of the work has been compatibility, making sure that controller and, uh, and view actually match what their old semantics were, um, even though those old semantics make absolutely no sense. Uh, so part of the goal around uh, components is that uh, there's, there's a very simple rule where like the light DOM is a, a transparent scope. So you're always yielding back to exactly what was there before with your new block params, but with nothing else. It's always exactly what was there. If you access the view keyword or something like that, it's exactly what was there before. There's no change to it. Uh, and then if you're in your shadow DOM, you have access only to you know, your own scope as the this. You don't have access to anything outside like view or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so adding something back to each where you could do a decoration, I think, would be plausible. You, you'd need to think about how you want the key to work, um, how you want to keep track of what each. So there's a key property. I would imagine you'd have like a, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There's a key property uh, where you can go ahead and say, like, I want for each of these items, they, their key is their name. And that's how I know that their DOM node is going to be stable and that they're not going to need to move around. Um, if you're going to do it with a proxy, then you need to think about who's in charge of specifying that, the main object or the proxy. Uh, and then if you're also going to do a proxy, you need to think about how to propagate the changes for values through the proxy. Uh, right. Sounds this is now in the new stuff. I was just, just, yeah. a lot I was just like, imagining uh, passing the decorator as a second. Uh, what if what if you what if you had a helper for it? Because it seems like you might want to use this outside the context of each. Yeah, I, I think the I think what it comes down to is just that item item controller itself uh, does not imply simple decoration. I, item right. controller actually implied a lot of other things, as did right. like item view class and things like that. So uh, I. The, the concept of a decorator is obviously a useful one in, in programming in general and in mm-hmm. Ember and in, inside of a template, you can say it would be a useful concept. Um, but the idea of a controller as that decorator came along with just a lot of baggage. Yeah, it, um, mm-hmm. gotcha. And I think for a lot of the, a lot of the immediate cases using block params, you can, um, you'd be able to handle the same things using block params and, and have it work rather well. Um, but yeah, as we identify use cases in 2.0, if there's a big use case that we've missed there on decoration, then we should, of course, go back and find the right API to deal with it um, without the burdens of controllers. Yeah, we haven't we haven't found that we haven't found that yet. But um, Charles, what you're talking about, uh, and and it sounds a lot like it sounds like I, I actually think we've got a good. I think this is. I think uh, I think we've got a good solution with the uh, the suggestion yeah. use block brands. Yeah, like I'm just imagining yeah, like a decorated each. You can say decorator equals the name of your decorator, and then yield it. Uh, you don't have a block param. I like that. If you if you want so to get another really... concept, 
Uh, I was just going to say, if you want to get really cute with it, uh, I saw a really interesting implementation with uh, uh, Smoke and Mirrors, if you've seen that library. Uh, it uses the exact pattern you guys are talking about um, to, to do some of this stuff, but I, uh, for the proxying and, and decoration and all that stuff. But it's it's pretty, you know, it's kind of threaded backwards from the way you might be thinking with backwards yields and stuff like that. So uh, uh, for, for simple decoration, it's not what we're looking for. So another tool that's landing uh, in 1.13 is the improved actions work. Uh, and mm. one of the benefits, there's like a lot of really cool things that the improved actions do, uh, which might be difficult to, um, which might be difficult to talk about without having code examples to, to look at. But one of the neat things they do is they allow you to curry. So uh, if you have uh, actions are pure functions. Um, so if you say action and you pass it a string in the new ones where uh, you have a sub expression, uh, all it does is go to the actions hash of whatever its current context is, pluck that function, create a closure over that function, and then any other arguments that you pass to the action keyword are just like arguments that are carried on to a later function call. So you can say action and then give it a string of save and then say model. And now if someone actually calls that action, it's just a function on their component, they say this.adders. whatever the action was, when name was, when it was passed in, and they call that function with no arguments, the fact that you had the model as an argument when you defined it means that the model is like passed with the function. I could cry. So That's can, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can you can curry multiple times because any function can be passed to the action uh, uh, the action keyword itself. So when you're in your decorated scope, and if you're in your outer scope, you can say I want to define an action and have it like have um, the the main model on it. Now when I'm in my decorated scope, I want to say action again. I want to pass it the previous action. And I want to add to it like something from the decorated scope, some other arguments. And then you pass that down into someone else. So you can add things from scopes as you descend. And then when you finally call the action at the bottom, all of those things were closed over and they're all included from different scopes in the action that you send back up. And when we say send back up, the improved actions are really just function closures. So there's no, there's no bubbling or anything like that. You're just calling the function where it was. That, that, okay, so is there a blog post out there about this? Because this sounds a lot better. Is this 2.0 stuff? Uh, no, this is 1.13. Mm-hmm. There is a, there's an RFC for improved actions, and they were landed, uh, I think they were landed, be- yeah, they were landed before we went into beta. Uh, and yeah, uh, when we do the release post, I'm definitely going to have to do a, a whole big section explaining what's going on with them. But if you want to look for something immediately, uh, the RFC is a really good thing to look at. Will do. That's very cool. Yeah, they're called improved actions. Anyway. Improved actions are so there's kind of like can't think of a better word for it pattern or maybe like a meme that is like data down, actions up, but sometimes your actions need to go down and that's what improved actions are for, right? So improved actions when we talk about the action going up, uh what we're speaking of is that something in a a, a nested scope like a child scope when it calls an action, it will always be calling something that's on a parent scope. So if you have a parent and a child and a grandchild component, if that grandchild component calls an action, that action can be called with the scope of the, the grandparent, of the, of the parent. Um, that's what we call about going, that's what we mean by going up, whereas your data, when you change data, you know, the, the bindings flow one way down through that stack. So um, you are passing, literally like passing as an argument, the action all the way down, um, but uh, yeah, when we say it goes up, we mean that it calls on a parent scope. So, so that sounds better. I, I think Tom didn't get a chance to name this 
like he did with Glimmer. So if he had, it would probably be like actions to Electric Boogaloo or something. <laughs> uh, we could take a book, a leaf out of Rails's book, and just call it Action Action. <laughs> Active action. Actions, actions. Action, yeah, actions. well, naming some of these things, I think Helpers was another good example. Uh, there's an RFC for Helpers, and I've been trying to land this also as a 1.13 thing uh, because we're, co- we're calling it a bug because uh, this is a concept that add-on authors really need. And we should maybe talk about add-on authors in 2.02 because if there's anyone who's felt a lot of pain and churn in the, the road up to 2.0, it's really been add-on authors. Yep. Um, application users, it's been maybe there's a lot of distraction, but the actual, I think the flow has been pretty sane. Um, but add-on developers have had to jump through a lot of hoops, especially once you use the view layer. Yeah, i say for us, yep. like, we've had quite a few deprecations, but most of our deprecations either come from add-ons or with stuff like ListView, they just don't quite work yet at all. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. usually like one... One set, there's like one uh, one set of components. There's like two components that we have that break every single time, and everything else is just butter. Yeah, and it's supposed to be exciting components. I want to know what those ones do. They're <laughs> they wrap this view. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but it it, it it makes sense though because you were talking about earlier, like, hey, kind of do this at your leisure. Well, that means that you have a, a peop, uh, you know, you have an ar- array of accepted point releases that people are at at any given time. So you'll have some people, I've talked to people that are still on 1.7. Um, I've talked to people, a lot of people are on, you know, a lot of people are going to be on 1.11 for quite some time. Uh, 1.11, maybe 1.12 while they uh, get ready for Glimmer, especially if they're using things like ListView. And so that means that add-on authors are going to have to support that currently, you know, they have to know like, hey, there's three or four of these in use out there that I have, that I'm going to need to support at any given time. And um, I've definitely seen that be very painful. Yeah, so the, the, the two major things that we're, um, that we're undertaking to try and address that, and again, some of this is inside of that uh, releases, uh, release improvement uh, document, but the, the two things are really the, the sveltification makes a big difference. Okay, so there's like specific tactical things such as the uh, using accessing adders on old components and new components. And that's the kind of thing where we ship an add-on that allows you to deal with that. A lot of the times if we have... Um, uh, a change in an API and we want to remove the deprecation, we'll ship an add-on that implements the new API on top of the old API. And then they can use that all the time and it'll call like private hooks to use the old API on older versions of Ember without raising the deprecation. So basically for an add-on, the solution for becoming deprecation-free on an old version of Ember is to just use this add-on all the time for whatever that specific API is. So that means that people will be able to, most likely people will be able to keep up. And, and so for an application level developer, this is going to not be a super big, uh, like we, we've definitely had challenges uh, removing deprecation warnings and stuff like that. It's been, you know, we had a sizable iteration on 111 uh, for that, but mm-hmm. not the certainly not the end of the world. It's certainly been manageable. Yeah, it's hard. It, it was hard, but in, a, in the same way that... Uh... Walking a long distance is hard along a road. Like the, the the path was very clear in what to do, and like progress was constant. But it was there were definitely uh, certainly around the object proxying behavior. It was a yeah. it was it that was, was a slog. A but it, yeah, it was hard, but it didn't involve lots of brain work. That, maybe that's one of the last things I'll say is if there's anybody listening that's using a lot of object proxying um, like we used to, we thought it was so cool. It was like my favorite thing about Ember is that you could just call uh, proxy to the model, and I love teaching about it, and I love using it, and now it's toast, and um, you're going to get a billion deprecation warnings, and fixing it is a is a slog. Object proxy is um, over. Well, I hope that you guys, 
<laughs> yeah, I hope that you guys found like we did that uh, a lot of the, you also ran into a lot of bugs though. Yeah. There's a lot of times when you're stashing yeah, yeah, information absolutely. on the models that you didn't even realize yep. you were. We totally mm-hmm. did. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it's one of those things that seemed like a really good idea at the time, and you realize yeah, when they like, it. My HTML bro- is broken except at the object uh, layer. You, you don't need wheels on your car, man. You can just use a big ball of tinfoil around it, and it will, like, drive. And you're like – and when you actually change it for uh, real wheels, it feels a lot better. Like, I, I think the other really the other huge thing that comes to mind to call out if you're if you're thinking about prepping for 2.0 if you haven't done it the the most important is to uh, work toward a path to Ember CLI before you uh, you're going to need to be on Ember CLI to have I I think to have like a really viable transition to 2.0 uh, globals mode is not going away so you'll still be able to use it for sure but um, it's just obviously the direction that the entire community is going the add-on ecosystem is incredible and you want to be a part of it. Uh, even if just for your own internal apps, I, we've talked to a lot of companies lately who are using internal add-ons to share behavior, uh, and like that's that's only going to become more and more common. Uh, so I I really encourage you to get over onto the Ember CLI bandwagon. If you're using Rails and Ember Rails or something like that, there's a great library called Ember CLI Rails, uh, which is Ember CLI like built into your Rails stack, and it actually works really really well. Um, you can even have add-ons, and it'll build add-ons as part of that. You can mount multiple applications. It's really cool. Uh, another tool that we've used really successfully with it is Ember Wormhole from the guys at Yap. Uh, Ember Wormhole is fantastic for saying, Ooh. I have an Ember application that's running on part of the page, and I want it to be able to, or maybe multiple parts of the page, and I want it to be able to interact with all of them. Uh, really, really powerful tool. And if you have an older Ember application that, that is using Ember Rails or something like that, you might be manually attaching the app to someplace. Um, looking at how Ember Wormhole works and, and trying to uh, solve the problem with Ember Wormhole will give you a very future-safe way to do this. Hmm. Uh, Ember Wormhole is awesome. I would never do anything to break it. It is really a fantastic tool. That's cool. Uh, yeah, and then if you're going to make the actual move, uh, there's an Ember CLI migrator, which yeah. can Stanley build. So there's the migrator. Yeah. Which, uh, I've heard good things about lately, uh, which is nice. Please use it and file bugs and whatever. I'm always happy to help. Uh, the other project I think is that's worth mentioning in that regard is uh, Ember Watson, which is a project by Adolfo Bulez, which does a lot of these same kind of transformations. So there's stuff like make your code not use prototype extensions. Uh, we're landing some your tests. Yeah, it'll fix up your tests to use the QUnit 2.0 stuff. Uh, there's some Ember data stuff we're landing, so uh, definitely check that out as well. Yeah, all, all those things are like great, great paths to help you forward. And if there is any, if there is like one thing to do to get ready for 2.0, if you feel like you are behind, it's definitely get on the MVC Live bandwagon. It's definitely the strongest suggestion. All right, Matthew, this, it's been really awesome, but we've gone super long and, and we've yeah. taken enough of your time. But I, I wanted to see uh, before we let you go if there was any uh, open source projects or any tools that you're using. Um, you mentioned a couple just a minute ago that you liked. Uh, is there anything else that you uh, feel like needs a shout out or is there uh, something special you guys are doing that you want to talk about? There is something special we're doing. Uh, I, I want to give a shout out to a tool first kind of just for the hell of it. It's not an open source tool, but there's an audio player called Vox, V-O-X, that's available on OSX. Uh, I've been using it for a while now. It lets you play uh, FLAC files, like high-quality audio files and a bunch of other things. And uh, it is making me more productive than Vim because I have all of my old music (laughs) library back now that I had when I was in college, and it feels amazing. So many live fish concerts from my old (laughs) FDB You really need that 24-bit fidelity there. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and then the other thing that uh, we're doing is uh, next week I have a consulting firm called Two On Created. Uh, we have a, it's really a very small shop of, of three folks. And uh, next week, my business partner, Corey, and I are spending the entire week working on Ember things running up to 2.0. We're just going to really get anything done that we need to get done very much in the weeds. There's a lot of deprecations that need to be issued in 113 so that we can remove code after 113. There's a couple, uh, like uh, anything that's a a private API that add-ons use is considered a bug. So there are a couple of those things like helpers that we need to land in that that time as well. Uh, But we have... This time is like just time that we're putting into working on Ember. There's there's no sponsorship. Nobody's like hiring us to do this or anything like that. We're doing it because we we feel this just needs to happen. Uh, but what we are going to do is turn it into uh, like a contributing for charity type thing. So I'm going to put up a web page which should probably be live by the time this goes out, which would be at two hundred one two zero one dash created dot com slash charity. And uh, we're going to put together a, a list of charities like Girls Who Code that we suggest that you go ahead and donate to. And then um, if you do, send us a photo of the receipt or something. We'll put your logo up. We'll put a message if you want to say that you're hiring or something like that. Put that up on the page and make a little bit of noise on Twitter and such. And we just want to use this as a chance to uh, kind of that same marathon running style that you mentioned before. Uh, we're going to be coding all week anyway. So uh, we want to try and encourage people to take that as an opportunity to uh, contribute back to the you know, the, the greater tech ecosystem of getting getting more people into programming and helping underrepresented groups get into programming um, because, the yeah, yeah it would be really great to see. That's awesome. And that's about we'll it. be sure to put that in the yeah. uh, show notes. Man, thank you. Thank you. Just thank you. Yeah, yeah. this was seriously was great. I love having a podcast where I know I'm going to write my code a little bit different as a result of, mm. of talking through it. This was really awesome, Matthew. Thank you for for your ideas yeah. and advice and uh, for all of your all of your work, uh, the the charity stuff you're doing, all that stuff, man. Um, it's really fun to see the kind of work that you do, and uh, I think it's a great model for the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. Great, super. Cheers, guys. All right, cheers. Well, let's uh, let's wrap yeah. this up, and we'll see everybody next yep. week. Thanks very all much, right. Matthew.